Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Jeffrey Epstein over the weekend died of suicide, apparent suicide. The New York coroner did a, you know, whatever coroners do, autopsy, I guess, on him. And they have not yet said whether it's a suicide or not. But, you know, I think we can probably safely assume it was. That's not the question, as far as I can tell. The question is, why was this allowed to happen, basically? Jeffrey Epstein, when he was 20 years old, was hired by Bill Barr's father to teach high school girls at the Dalton School. And by the way, people were complaining about the way that he was interacting with those high school girls. That same Bill Barr's father wrote around that same time, 1971, wrote a novel about sex slavery. You can find it on Amazon. It's called Space Relations, a slightly gothic interplanetary tale. One of the reviewers says, wow, a sexy sci-fi thriller from a classical scholar. This is a story about John Craig, a young man in the State Department of the future, who is confidently looking to take over from the secretary when he's captured by slavers and sold on the planet Kosar. His new master is the gorgeous Lady Morgan Sidney. Yeah, will John Smith be able to save her and the planet from themselves? <laughs> so anyhow, after his dad writes this book about sex trafficking, Jeffrey Epstein goes on to prosper in the sex trafficking business, apparently using sex trafficking of underage girls as the principal way to draw in or to blackmail or to influence wealthy older men. Anyhow, meanwhile, Trump's close friend Epstein introduces him to Melanie Naus. Excuse me, Melania, K-N-A-U-S-S, I believe it's pronounced Naus. And they end up married. Jeffrey Epstein introduced Donald Trump to his current wife. Then Epstein gets arrested and Bill Barr, the head of the Justice Department, recuses himself because his law firm had defended Epstein. And then after talking to Donald Trump, the next day, Bill Barr unrecuses himself and says, oh, oh, no, 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 I'll supervise the Epstein thing. Meanwhile, a woman files a lawsuit saying that both Epstein and Trump raped her when she was 13 and presents a picture of herself with Prince Andrew. The lawsuit is certified by a court. Following Epstein's arrest, reports come out that Barr's Justice Department now has hundreds of videos, movies, and pictures of Epstein's rich and famous 
and powerful male friends having sex with the girls that Epstein has been trafficking. Bill Barr and the Department of Justice, of course, supervise the prison into which Jeffrey Epstein is put while he's awaiting trial, where he mysteriously dies, presumably of suicide. And now, to take this into the realm of full-out bizarre, conservatives are suggesting, and over the weekend Donald Trump retweeted the suggestion, that Bill Clinton killed Jeffrey Epstein to shut him up. Because, you know, Bill Clinton runs the federal prison system, right? Right. Like, you know, 19 years ago. I mean, are these guys smoking crack? This is absolutely bizarre. But there are a lot of questions being raised by this. And, I mean, we should keep in mind that these hundreds or thousands of old, apparently old 16 millimeter movies and more modern videotapes and photographs of Epstein's girls, and they were girls, and the wealthy and powerful men that he was hooking them up with, that all this video and photographic evidence is apparently now in the possession of Bill Barr whose dad had given Jeffrey Epstein his first job. After Epstein dropped out of college at the age of 20, Bill Barr's dad hired him to teach high school girls at the Dalton School, the school that Anderson Cooper went to. It's a real high-end prep school. So, you know, very bizarre stuff. I don't know what to make of this other than that Bill Barr really needs to back out of this picture, and they need to bring in, in my opinion, they need to bring in a special prosecutor somebody who is not affiliated with Jeffrey Epstein in any way. Bill Barr is so contaminated by Epstein, his law firm defended him, his dad hired him. His boss, Donald Trump, was Epstein's good buddy. Epstein introduced Donald Trump's current wife to him. You got Epstein on Trump on video looking at girls and, and Trump saying, hey, she's hot. I mean, it's time to take this out of the realm of the Trump administration, isn't it? And I get this email from Donald Trump. Hey, Fred, did you see the latest New York Times headline? Probably not, considering they changed it after the whiny liberal mob cried enough to get it changed. That's right. The New York Times, one of the biggest fake news outlets, published a favorable headline of President Trump, and the Democrats lost their mind. They caused such an uproar that the paper republished it with a different headline bashing President Trump. Unbelievable. Democrats don't even care about the truth. They just want to read any lie that makes the president look bad. They can't get away with this, Fred. We can't let the mainstream media discredit our president to appease their liberal base, and it's up to you to hold them accountable. When the president needs help, he turns to the most powerful force in the world, the American people. Please click on this link. Take our official New York Times accountability survey by 11.59 p.m. tonight to let the biased New York Times know that we won't stand for their lies. All right, the survey, by the way, includes a pitch. Please give us money. A lot of strange stuff going on. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's on your mind today? This is the biggest story of the year, probably of the decade, with this Epstein story. We're it talking about the uh, Epstein-Barr syndrome here? Yes. That's the hashtag uh, that should be trending, is Epstein-Barr syndrome. Yes. When I read that story from Raw's story that Bill Barr visited the prison the day before Epstein supposedly killed himself. Now, that hasn't been confirmed. Mark. That has not been confirmed, Jared. 
yeah, which well, is why I didn't include it in my rant. That is a mobster, you know, a former John Gotti associate saying, somebody told me. So I'd hold back a little bit on that one. I mean, Bill Barr's schedule is should be relatively public. I, you know, if somebody within the Justice Department leaked that, yeah, I would take it seriously. But when a former John Gotti mobster, you know, he makes a good point that, you know, people just don't randomly commit suicide in these federal detention centers. I mean, these are places where some of the most notorious terrorists in the world, drug traffickers, whatnot, are held in detention and they're not allowed to commit suicide. He makes a good point to that effect. But when he says that, you know, somebody told me that Barr visited the prison, that's the point at which I go, okay, wait a minute. This is not something I'm going to report on the air. Back to you, Jared. Okay, I, I didn't read that part of the story. But there's too many coincidences going on here. I'm with you on that. Barr, his father. Yeah. Hiring Epstein as a high school dropout, as a teacher. Right, in a high school, teaching high school girls. And then the parents start complaining about inappropriate relations with those girls. And a year later, his father resigns from being headmaster of the school. This is all too weird. With Alex Acosta saying that Epstein is intelligence, I am starting to come to the conclusion that Epstein isn't even dead. That this has all been staged that if you look at the photos of the corpse of Epstein, you can see that the nose doesn't match with Epstein's. Yeah, be careful about going down that rabbit hole, Jared. I mean, actually, I think that Epstein being dead is going to cause Barr and Trump to heave a huge sigh of relief. They don't want this guy alive. He can testify to, you know, who did what with whom, including possibly Barr's dad and certainly Donald Trump. Yeah, that is true. And, um, so, I mean, let's keep our conspiracy theories within the realm of probable and credible rather than, oh, he's not dead. I mean, you know, there's like Elvis and John Lennon, and I mean, you know, they've been, he's dead. I have no doubt that he's dead. But what about Robert Maxwell? Who Robert was, Maxwell was who probably was murdered. He was $4 billion in debt. This is, is it pronounced Gishane? I don't know how to pronounce her first name, but anyhow, his daughter was, yeah. Robert Maxwell was supposed to be one of the richest men in the world. And when he died, it came out that he was $4 billion in debt, which I think is probably the neighborhood where Donald Trump is right now. And once that came out, of course, that was the end of the road for Robert Maxwell. And his daughter was Jeffrey Epstein's procurer. Yeah, and he supposedly and he fell was, overboard from his own yacht. Right. Because he was Mossad. He was killed. Well, who knows? And again, you know, Mossad is is code for Jewish, which gets you into the, the anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish conspiracies. God only knows. God only knows. Although Maxwell himself was Jewish. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. The, uh, the economic news seems to have been eclipsed by uh, people wanting to talk about the Epstein-Barr syndrome. Uh, <laughs> this is... This is amazing stuff. Brian in Palatine, Illinois. Hey, Pat. hey, Brian, what's up? Hey, Tom. It's great to talk to you. First-time caller. I've been listening to you for about six years, and uh, you pretty much single-handedly turned me into a progressive. So Cool. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to bring up one thing about the Epstein case. Um, mm -hmm. In Michael Wolff's latest book, Siege, it talks about how Mitch McConnell handpicked Bill Barr um, to, quote, save the Republican Party. So maybe oh, really? he knew something about this in advance, about all the Epstein stuff that it was about to come out? Uh, I'm guessing that I, I didn't realize that Mitch McConnell was the one who recommended Bill Barr. I was wondering who brought him out of cold storage, you know. Mm -hmm. um, McConnell has been around Washington, D.C. politics long enough to know that Bill Barr was the, was the guy, excuse me, who fixed the Iran-Contra investigation. 
Yeah. I mean, it was Bill Barr who recommended to, to George Herbert Walker Bush that he that he pardon uh, five or six people, including, uh, you know, Ollie North and Elliot Abrams uh, back in 1992, uh, just three weeks before he had to leave the White House because he had lost the election of Bill Clinton. Um, he did all those pardons and that shut down that that just decapitated the Iran-Contra investigation that would have implicated both Bush and Reagan in high crimes and misdemeanors. And so it makes perfect sense that, but I, I doubt that Mitch McConnell saw Epstein coming. Yeah, it's hard to say either way, but it's kind of funny just how it's kind of saving the, the Republican Party from Trump, which is kind of angle on it. Yeah, it is, it is fascinating, all the ways that these things intersect with each other. Brian, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Mike in Los Angeles, listening on KPFK. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, yeah, I just uh, believe that Mr. William Coverup Barr's immediate firing is the only way Donald Trump can indicate that he was not guilty of raping the 13-year-old. Yeah. After the previous alleged suicide attempt, we find out that Epstein has killed himself. No surveillance cameras involved. I mean, this just stinks to high heaven. Yeah. Barr is guilty at least of negligent homicide in not keeping this man alive, considering the explosive nature of what he was involved. Right, and this, and this lawsuit alleging that when she was 13, both Epstein and Trump raped this uh, young woman is uh, still live. That lawsuit is still out there. And this Epstein-Barr uh, connection appears, well, we'll see if it, if it kills the lawsuit or not, because now it's just a lawsuit against Trump. And Barr but, is proclaiming that Trump can't be sued, can't be anything. You know, he's, he's the president, after all. Barr should be removed from office by Trump, or he should be impeached if that doesn't happen. I, I agree with both those sentiments, but I would say lacking that, and I'd be very surprised if Donald Trump decided that he was going to remove him, and I'd be astonished if Mitch McConnell allowed an impeachment hearing of Barr in the Senate. Lacking that, I think that what this administration needs to do, if they want to recover any credibility at all, is say that the whole Epstein investigation is going to be conducted by, you know, an independent party, by the equivalent of Ken Starr or Robert Mueller or somebody like that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your perspective on that. You know, it's Monday this weekend. I, I just spent most of the weekend sitting in front of my computer. I'm, I've got a book I'm I'm working on on uh, Monopoly and how Monopoly is destroying small business and destroying America. And, I, you know, you'd think that like laying bricks would wreck your body and your back, but actually sitting in front of, <laughs> sitting in front of a computer does it just as well. And that's why I'm really glad to have New Leaf Natural CBD oil to help just like relieve the pain and go to sleep at the end of the day. New Leaf, it's NU Leaf Naturals is the, the company. Uh, CBD oil is, uh, it doesn't get you high, right? It's not, not intoxicating. Um, it's, in fact, New Leaf uh, CBD oil is legal all across the country because it's made from hemp uh, rather than from marijuana. So you get the health benefits of a cannabinoid without having to deal with getting high, which is, you know, a good thing. I'd, I'd like to sleep without getting high. CBD is non-toxic, has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory pro properties. And as I said, the brand that I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals, NU Leaf Naturals, the highest quality on the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown in the United States, only made from hemp and uh, in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's n-u-leafnaturals.com. And you can save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to n-u-leafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. 
Twitter is just going nuts on the uh, Epstein-Barr syndrome, which is a great hashtag, Epstein-Barr syndrome, because it's like Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Barr, Bill Barr's dad, uh, Bill Barr, his law firm defending, he wasn't personally involved, but his law firm was the defense law firm for Epstein. Scott Walker tweets this, uh, he says, the uh, Epstein murder story is like a rejected high school movie script for an intro to film class. Too many overused cliches. Next thing we'll find out, zombies are deceptively rapid walkers and a dying man whispers the secret in his last breath. That's what's scary and no one cares. Tiberius Gratches says, I wish I could take credit, but I heard cover up general. And then he mentions a couple of radio shows. You heard it on my show. I wrote several op-eds about this, uh, I, you know, back when Bill Barr was first nominated to be attorney general, how William Sapphire, who was arguably back in the day, back in the 90s, and, and, well, in the 80s and, and the early 90s, he had this column in the New York Times called On Language. And I loved to read the. I, I mean, I'm an English geek, right? My mom graduated with a degree in English from MSU. She was a total English nut, and we had good grammar in our house, damn it. <laughs> I mean, it was, and, and, um, and so I was researching Bill Barr, you know, when, when uh, Trump nominated him. Turns out Mitch McConnell apparently promoted this idea. And what I found were all these old columns in the New York Times by William Sapphire calling him cover-up general instead of attorney general, because he was the attorney general for George Herbert Walker Bush in 1992, and he was the one who helped Bush engineer the Iran-Contra cover-up you know, pardoning Ollie North and pardoning Elliot Abrams and a few other people and shutting down the investigation. Uh, Lawrence Walsh, who was in charge of that investigation, was screaming bloody murder about this. I mean, look at the New York Times front page for the day, either the day before, the day of, or the day after Christmas of 1992. That's when Barr did this. And it was just like, I mean, a screaming headlines. And Sapphire called him cover-up General Barr. It's getting very, very strange. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? I'm really interested in the connection between the financialized economy and people like uh, Jeffrey Epstein and how they are able to amass such fortunes from, you know, just obscurity. Well, keep in mind, he worked at Bear Stearns and then he worked at J.P. Morgan Chase. Right. Well, only it was J.P. Morgan back in the day. He, he worked there. He was not a billionaire there. You know, in other words, what, I mean, yeah, they probably have connections with that. But just the whole idea of, I mean, to me, these people are parasites. They're just making money off of the rest of us by just taking it out of our pockets. I, I don't see that they increase the, you know, the, the actual gross national product. They remove it from our, our wallets. And, you know, why do we have this kind of system? I mean, I know we have neoliberalism, but how it has evolved over the years with the federal government enabling them to yeah. be able to do this. And, and, you know, also, I mean, there are other people like Paul Singer. They basically uh, buy the debt of sovereign countries and, and, and put them in debt servitude for the rest of their life. And I think that this is the kind of thing that Jeffrey Epstein had done. And it's a great way of making money for doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the reason I mentioned J.P. Morgan Chase and, and Bear Stearns is not to suggest that these companies played any role in Epstein's crimes or any, anything like that, but, but rather they, to say they, that they, they might have taught him how to use this financialization of our marketplace to turn himself into a billionaire. For instance, you know, one of them, it, the commodities market, they were able to purchase the wheat market here 
after they trashed the economy in terms of, you know, real estate markets and the banks, and they did the same thing. They made the, uh, the price of wheat, they made it go up, they made the market unstable simply so that they could do, you know, casino-type uh, capitalism where they just pull off, sure. you know, uh, money out of the oh, economy. They did, it doesn't that, that's benefit. what Enron did with electricity like a freak show, really. We have to get out of this, and I don't know how to get out of it myself or what to suggest, because I think that the economy is going to tank again, obviously. Yeah, I think it already, I, I don't think that we ever got out of the recession. And, no, it, it's and, just all you know, funny we, money that has been, you right, know. We just got out of what was apparently a depression. By the way, John, they're referring to Epstein in the headlines as a financier. Why not call him a bankster? Uh, <laughs> a bankster, or, you know, maybe we should call them welfare kings. Yeah. They are welfare kings. Yeah. They are people that are sucking off of you, me, your children, and in the, even the next generation. They're destroying the lives of people throughout the third world. And this is the kind of economy, thanks to the Republicans, thanks to Ronald Reagan. And every time somebody, you know, says, oh, he was such a great president, I want to barf. Yeah. No, you know, he, living he, through all of this. Yeah, he, he, I, I mean, he, he, destroyed you, this country. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's it's all good, John. It's all good. Yeah. Reagan destroyed this country. I mean, they, you just look around you. And his racialization of politics by doubling down on Nixon's Southern strategy has also brought us a lot of the crisis that we have right now. And I would argue brought us Donald Trump. Patrick in San Antonio. Hey, Patrick, what's up? Back in 2004, it appears that Epstein went to Trump with a real estate opportunity. And according to Michael Wolff, in that book, it says that Trump bought it out from under him, paid $5 million than what Epstein was going to pay. And it appears at that time they had a falling out. Epstein came to him and, you know, said that he was going to expose him as a financial fraud. And at that point, 2005, a year later, Epstein was under, under investigation there hmm. for pedophilia. Interesting. So I found that interesting. Another thing, too, on the uh, Fusion GPS they looked into the relationship, and according to Fusion GPS, they couldn't find a significant relationship between Trump and Epstein. Yeah, except that there's pictures of them together. The you know he introduced Epstein introduced right. Trump to Melania. I mean, you know, all before 2005, all before 2004, I think. Those yeah. Quotes and those oh, so what you're saying is this: that's ever since Trump basically uh, ripped off Epstein's real estate opportunity and screwed him, yeah. that they haven't had any contact. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, then you, you can run with this one: a Russian bought it from Trump for 96 million. So gee, I'm shocked. Take that for what you want. <laughs> well, shocked. But, yeah. Thank you very much, Mark in Valley, Washington. Hey, Mark, what's up? Well, first, uh, I would say Reagan at least put us on the path that we ended up on right now. No I'm doubt about it. I know who Malcolm Nance is, and he's got a quote that I love, and he says, coincidence takes a lot of planning. <laughs> there you go. Some people are really pushing this. There's a BLM posted over on Democratic Underground this morning that Trump separates migrant children to serve global network of pedophiles. Many will be sex trafficked. Others will be forced into labor jobs to earn their keep. This is the narrative activists need to adopt. I, I think it is important to point out that hundreds of these children who are separated from their parents are lost. Their parents have no yeah, idea where they are, and neither does the government. But to say that that's part of some giant conspiracy between Trump and Epstein and whatnot to continue sex trafficking, that, that, that's pushing it too far. But I get your point about coincidence, and it's, very, it's a point very well made. Thank you. Damon in Las Vegas. Hey, Damon, what's up? 
I want everyone to hear me what I want to say because I don't think you guys get it. And I had no idea into what I'm about to say. So I'm going to get to the point. I have a friend. He's a white man. He's 38. I'm 45. I'm a black man. We've been friends for a little while. And one day, uh, I think the six-year-old kid was found dead at containment camps. And I said to him, Trump is SOB kind of thing. I don't know where he what I say. And he went off. Trump is the greatest person on earth. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea. We were friends. Not once I really even thought he was injured. Trump. So anyway, when Epstein died this weekend, he sent me this text message that Trump is going to kill them all kind of stuff. You, you get what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's glad that Trump whacked Epstein. I don't think the average person gets it. These we're not going to, here's my point, we're not going to turn any of them. Oh, no, I get that. I get that. These these people have been completely brainwashed. Louise and I started last night, started watching this show on Showtime, The Loudest Voice in the Room, which is the story of uh, Roger Ailes and the creation of Fox News. And it's absolutely shocking. I mean, basically, Roger Ailes sits down and says, what we're going to do, we're going to create a network that programs to rural white people. We're going to sell it all as patriotism, and we're going to promote this neoliberal agenda. Fox News has, since the 90s, has been selling to rural white people the idea that Reaganomics and racial hatred and all this other stuff are good for them. And it's killing them, in fact. I've been friends with this guy for a couple years. I have never once heard a racial thought. I've never heard him say nothing about Trump until about two weeks ago. I mean, this, things are fine this week. He's talking about he wants to kill all the... Listen to what he told me. He said that Trump is going to have everybody on CNN executed. Just stuff I had no oh, this idea. Is, this is the QAnon theory. The QAnon theory yeah, is yeah, that yeah. Trump he is taking... about that, too. Yeah, that, that Trump is, is going to take on the deep state and that he's going to have, yeah. you know, in the very end, it's sort of like a Jesus moment, you know, only Jesus with a machine gun. He's going to have all the bad people brought out and he's going to have them yeah. publicly executed. Yeah. And yeah. Who would think that that's a good thing, right? I mean, publicly executing people, that's like, you know, what Robespierre did in the French Revolution. It's what the Bolsheviks did in Russia in 19... What, 17 or 1919, whatever the year was. I mean, the night of the long knives, it's what Hitler did. I mean, when the yeah. guy in charge of your political system starts executing no, people no. because of their because of their politics, no. you don't want to no, praise I, that. Go ahead, Damon. I'm sorry. I just want you to know, everybody out there who thinks that we can't work this, this person before the, uh, this all happened was a good friend of mine. He's, I've been to his house. We drank, drank together, talked boo-boo together. His ex-wife is black. Believe that or not. Yeah. I had no clue that what I just heard for the last two weeks. Well, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a screaming racist to agree with Trump on a whole bunch of other things. But it helps. <laughs> but it helps. Damon, thanks. Thanks for sharing your story with us. It's a good one. I appreciate it. I appreciate the call. Steve in Park Ridge, Illinois. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I heard your comment about the Roger Ailes loudest voice. We've watched six of the seven episodes, and I would commend that to any of your listeners. Mm-hmm. That's not really why I called, though. I don't know if anyone has posited this, but with the Epstein fortune, how much of that money was made trafficking these girls? I have a feeling that these weren't freebies to the customers, and I have a feeling it was like a high-level call girl prostitution ring. I think that it went beyond that, Steve. I don't think that Jeffrey Epstein was making money trafficking young girls. I think he was using it as enticement and blackmail. I think he was saying to these wealthy and powerful men, 
here, have sex with so-and-so, and, and, oh, and not telling them that he was videotaping it or filming it, not telling them that he was keeping records of it, not telling them that there were security cameras going in and out of his houses all those years. This is the stuff that Bill Barr now has in his possession and somehow has just dropped off the, the radar screen of the American media. The American media was all over this when Epstein's house was raided a few weeks ago and he was first arrested. They was like, oh my God, we found the videotapes. We found the movies. Barr comes out and says, I'm going to recuse myself. And then Barr has a meeting with Donald Trump. And the day later, he says, I'm not going to recuse myself. I'm unrecusing myself. I'm going to supervise this. I'm going to take possession of all these dirty films and things. And I think Epstein was basically, you know, if he could get, you know, a billionaire, to sleep with, an, uh, with, a, with a girl who was underage, whether they knew she was underage or not, Epstein would come along after, after the fact and say, oh, by the way, she was only 16 or 15 or whatever. And, and uh, you really do want to invest a billion dollars with me, don't you? Oh, yes, sir, Mr. Epstein, absolutely. Here, here's a billion dollars. Uh, please make me some money. And Epstein makes a little profit for them, keeps I, a lot for himself, and everybody walks away happy. I think you're thought on that is even a bigger money maker yeah. uh, because you could extort for hundreds of thousands of dollars versus, you know, the ten, twenty thousand uh, dollar for the one time trip. So right. I think you're right on. No, I think I, I, I think this is I, I'm guessing that, you know, out of a single illegal uh, sexual encounter between a wealthy, I mean, we're talking people worth hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars between a wealthy person and one of Epstein's girls that out of one single encounter, Epstein could have made tens of millions of dollars by getting those wealthy people. Keep in mind, Jeffrey Epstein was running investment funds. Those wealthy people put their money in his funds because they don't want him to reveal their sexual activity, and then he makes millions of dollars off those funds. And this appears to be how he made his money. I mean, we don't know for sure that there was this kind of implied blackmail element to it, but I think absolutely. Steve, thank you for the call, and thanks for listening to WCPT. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Wow, we have been talking about Jeffrey Epstein, and his association, his, having, his first real job was teaching high school girls. He was hired by Bill Barr's dad and all this other stuff. The whole, the whole story gets really, really weird. Morris in Long Beach. Hey, Morris, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Hey, hey Professor, we're talking about sex trafficking now. A guy named David Vine, I know you know the name. He's got a book out called Base Nation. Nobody participates in sex trafficking like the United States government, the United States military. But uh, my question is, which institution do you think is going to step up on this Epstein murder, straight up murder? Come on. Is it going to be the Department of Justice? Will it be the FBI? Somebody. Well, wait a minute. Bill Barr point. runs the Department of Justice and the Department of Justice runs the FBI. Doesn't that kind of answer your question? He died in federal custody, so this is up to the feds, and the Department of Justice is the pretty much the entire federal police agencies. They're all under Bill Barr's supervision. So, and, and Bill Barr is now sitting on all these videotapes of wealthy, powerful men having sex with you know, Jeffrey Epstein's underage girls. After the way that guy misrepresented the Mueller report, all right. Um, Jesus. Okay, let me let you go, my brother. Yeah, okay. Thanks a lot, Morris. Good to hear from you. Always good to hear from you. Wild times here at Dalton High. <laughs> Bill Barr's dad's old high school where he hired Jeffrey Epstein to teach teenage girls math. Very strange.
So just imagine this. You've got a bed that actually adjusts its own temperature to match what your body needs as it sleeps throughout the night. Sounds like science fiction? Nope. It's the ultimate sleep machine. It's the pod by 8sleep. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com is the, is the company. Uh, 8sleep.com slash Tom and you can get a deal. This is amazing, the pod. This, this uh, is the only and, well, it's the first and only high-tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance by sleeping deeper. You want to sleep deeper? The pod dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed so you're comfortable overnight. It's measuring your temperature and it's adjusting its own. You want to know your sleep intel? The pod also tracks your biometrics while you sleep with no need for wearable technology. So uh, you want to sleep better? they got personalized programs. It's incredible. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup only at 8sleep.com. Uh, they've already sold out the first two batches. They're going fast for a limited time. You get 150 bucks off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com. T-H-O-M. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Ross in Olympia, Washington. Hey, Ross, what's on your mind? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it would be a mistake to just look at this as a sex for sale scandal. It's, it's basically a honey trap, and you've got to take a look at who Epstein was working for. Maybe I'll let you riff on that in just a second, Ross, but the point that I made was that I don't think that Epstein was making money supplying girls to wealthy and powerful men via the girls themselves. I think what he was doing was Jeffrey Epstein was running investment funds. He worked at Bear Stearns, then he, and then he worked at J.P. Morgan Chase, then he went on his own. And he doesn't have to say it out loud or explicitly, right? I mean, this, this all happens with a wink and a nod. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry, I, I just learned that that girl that you slept with at my mansion last week was only 15. And uh, so I'll do my best to keep that under wraps. By the way, would you like to invest a billion dollars in this new fund I just opened? Oh, sure, Jeffrey, here you go. Take a billion dollars. And, you know, I'll get you back one or two percent, no problem. Oh, one or two percent is wonderful, even though the fund is returning five percent, but Epstein's skimming off the top, and this is how he got rich. That's This is my opinion. This is my conspiracy theory, as it were. Ross, yours? Well, I think that uh, you probably he would have been making more money by selling that information to different nation states. Uh, Most likely Mossad. No, well, you know, Israel's not huge in the investment business. I mean, if, if you're selling information to foreign nation states that, are, that have relationships with their bankers, it would far more likely be England or Germany. But, but you know, I, you know and, and, and uh, I, this is the second time somebody's mentioned Mossad. I mean, this, this whole right-wing theory, the reason that the guys who were chanting the, the, in Charlottesville were chanting, Jews will not replace us, and the reason why this crazy guy walked into the synagogue and shot a bunch of Jews was because of this right-wing theory that, that Jews in America were funding the caravans and Trump was screaming about the caravans, right? The, this so-called replacement theory. And it, it, this is the definition of anti-Semitism. This is the kind of stuff that leads to pogroms. I mean, this, this is horrible, horrible stuff. And, and please, Realize where this is coming from before you even think about repeating that kind of a story. John in Niles, Michigan. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? About the Epstein thing, I think he, uh, being as wealthy as he is, there's always the possibility that he got a, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, and he's got a double. 
it's not beyond the realm of possibility. But what uh, conceivable reason would Bill Barr and Donald Trump have for wanting to keep Jeffrey Epstein alive? I can come up with a dozen reasons why they'd want him dead. Payoff, money, money. I think these guys are wealthy enough that they don't need a few extra bucks from Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, I could see where, you know, maybe he maybe he slipped a few bucks to his jailers to to let him quietly commit suicide. Uh, I think it was more than a few bucks. Yeah, it was but, probably in the millions of dollars. Well, I mean, possibly. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, he's not going to take it with him, so um, might as well give it away. But but uh, I just don't see any any incentive. I mean, the, you know, the, you're the second person who's called and suggested that maybe he didn't really die, and I'm just I I, I don't I'm not buying that. I don't I don't see how well, that's possible. Why, why would a Why would a billionaire? kill himself that's the last thing he wants to do he bought a get out of jail because he's facing the rest of his life in prison for child rape child rapists don't do well in prison they 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 do it all the time in washington you know it's it's uh it's part of the culture there you know you know look at uh ambassador kislyak and what he did the the politicians are bought off all the time they're all political prostitutes yeah and that's one thing about bernie he can't be paid for He's as honest as the day is long. And what better litmus test would anyone want instead of these opportunists that come out of the woodwork that dilute his message? And uh, I just think that Bernie is the, the real one that's going to change this country. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, there are two solid progressives in this race, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And I am very hopeful that one of them ends up our nominee. Because if they do, I think it's going to be like FDR. He was reelected four times. Gene in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Hey, Gene, what's on your mind? Oh, hi, Tom. Great show today. Thank you. Uh, Tom, you've, you've spoken about William Barr. I've learned a lot about him through you. I've learned a lot just from reading um, uh, all about the Iran-Contra affair, about torture memos. This guy, how does he do it? Why? What can? How come we're powerless? Why can we not arrest this man? Why is he in charge of Because he's in charge system? of the police departments of this country. If anybody gets arrested in this country, it has to go through Bill Barr. He's not going to arrest himself. So how do we take this power away from him? Well, I mean, it's, it, you know, really number one, public publicity, and number two, um, election. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that, yes, you can impeach an attorney general. It's not going to happen. Mitch McConnell's not going to allow it to happen. And, uh, you know, I think even the exercise would be an exercise in futility. What we need to do is get a president into office who's not going to put a man who is as corrupt as Bill Barr in as attorney general. It's just, you know, we're just going to have to, you know, hunker down for another year and a half here, Gene. I, I, I don't see an alternative. Thank you so much for the call, though. And, and you know, it, it is a real struggle. I mean, we've got an insanely corrupt guy running our Justice Department, not to mention the whole lobbyist running EPA. So let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do. Ellen Ratner's new book and on the line with us is the author of Sideswipe, former Congressman Bob Ney. And Bob, welcome to the program. What's uh, at the top of your uh, news stack? Well, thank you, Tom. There's so many things going on, of course, with Epstein, et cetera. But hey, I, I have a question with regard to Epstein, yeah. if I may. Um, mm-hmm. Right after his house was raided, a story was leaked that they found thousands, as I, as I recall, um, mm-hmm. thousands of photographs, old movies from the 70s, 80s, 90s, presumably, and videotapes 
of these underage girls having sex with Jeffrey Epstein's friends and, and presumably with him. Those tapes are now in the possession of the Department of Justice, which is Bill Barr. I have not heard a word about them. What's going on with that? You know, I've heard nothing on it, period. All that I heard was there was a cache of, of you know, an amazing amount of material uh, confiscated and that it was damaging. We've heard that. Where it is, how they secured it, who has it, who all was in the chain of command, you know, possession of the material, which is important in law enforcement, none of that. I, I know of none of that. I don't know anybody asking that very question you just brought up, which that somebody should be. I think it's one of the most important questions out there. I mean, you know, if he was allowed to suicide in order to uh, deep six that documentary evidence, that suddenly it makes a lot of sense. I mean, they need to know where it was, who was there. Uh, the media just does not do its job. I You're mean, right. it, it, you've asked a question that somebody should be forcing the answer to that. Yeah. And it's yeah. nothing they can't tell us. Yeah. You know, who was there? What, what, you know, was, were the New York authorities there with the Justice Department? Right. You know, was it a combination of everybody? I don't know the answer yeah. to that. Yeah. It's important. Yep. So anyhow, I interrupted yeah. you. You were going somewhere. Oh, no, no problem. It's a very important question. And hang on, there'll be more and more and more on this one, you know, yeah. period, the whole stuff. Or here. Bill Barr will bury it the same way he buried Iran-Contra back in 1992 when he was Attorney General then. Well, he was good at that, too. But yeah. uh, this one is so hot, we'll have to see what happens uh, yeah. with it. Uh, I did want to mention this story about... Um, the fact that, you know, the U.S. House overwhelmingly passed a resolution to condemn the boycott, disinvestment, and sanctions. It's called BDS movement. And that is something that's against Israel, uh, the, you know, the sanctions and the boycott movement. For so the their US behavior in Gaza and on the West Bank, yeah. Yes, and overwhelmingly passed it. Now, uh, Congresswoman Omar and uh, Talib voted against the resolution. You know, we all know that. Uh, while President Trump told advisors that he thinks that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu should use the Israel's anti-boycott law to bar those two members of Congress from entering Israel August the 18th when they're scheduled to go there. Mm. Now, there was a law passed in 2017 that was by Israeli's parliament, the Knesset, and they passed a law requiring the interior minister to block foreign nationals from entering Israel if they supported boycotting the Jewish state. Now, in the case of these two members of Congress, however, Beamer, the ambassador from Israel to America, made it very clear that he, he and Israel have no intentions to block any member of Congress, no matter how they voted on this issue. Now, there was some communication from the Democratic leadership, because there is an APAC-sponsored trip, and that could have been completely all disrupted, you know, had they barred these two members, who are scheduled, again, August 18th, to go there. And the reason I, I brought up this story is because, now, the president, uh, our president, is saying that it's fake news that he, in fact, you know, has told Israel uh, that they should bar these two. Okay. That it's fake news because they can do whatever they want. But he told his advisors, who communicated, obviously, with the Israeli ambassador about barring these two. He was trying to create this huge explosion, basically, you know, where... He's doing right everything now, he can to go after these four women of color. I mean, absolutely. that's the bottom line here. Absolutely, and it would have created a huge explosion on the issue when Israel itself in no way indicated that... Well, they don't want to get in the middle of it. I mean, they're taking enough heat for trying to block freedom of speech, basically. 
Right, exactly. And so I, I did want to mention, because it was an attempt, and yes, the president can say, well, I didn't tell Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to do this, but we all know how close they are anyway, so the message was sent from the president to advisors to the Israeli ambassador. Yeah. Well, you wonder if Prime Jared Minister Kushner was in that loop. I mean, Netanyahu used to sleep in Jared right. Kushner's bedroom, you know? Well, I if it's, Net, if it's either Netanyahu or MBS, which is a great combination of two people, if it's either one, usually you can see Kushner there. I think, Tom, if I'm correct, I don't want to misstate, but there were 85 phone calls that uh, Kushner had made over to uh, MBS and, you know, just tons of phone calls to Netanyahu. Right. And, you know, I know he technically... MBS being the dictator of Saudi Arabia. Yes, Saudi Arabia. Mohammed bin Salman, also known in Saudi Arabia as Mr. Bonesaw, MBS. Right. Also right. known over that way. Mr. Bonesaw, uh, MBS, right? <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Well, I have friends in Saudi Arabia who wouldn't dare even indicate anyone that I know there. I have friends, and that's what they call him behind his back over there. MBS wow. is called Mr. Bonesaw. Wow. Right. And then, have you talked about the endangered species law? No, uh, real quick, yes. Bob. We're hitting the break right okay. now. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the Trump administration is finalizing changes. It would weaken endangered species in a monumental way, as we haven't seen in decades since Richard Nixon created it. Wow. Wow. These guys are yes. retrograde. Stay tuned. Bob Ney, Congressman, thank you so much. Thank you. Good talking with you. If you believe that you're not being snooped on or that nobody cares about your online data, well, then I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you're wrong. Hackers, governments, and ad companies all slurp up your data. That's why I recommend getting the software that I trust to protect my online activity, ExpressVPN. Their apps use powerful encryption to secure your data. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone, and then you use the internet just like you normally would. You download the app, click to connect, and you're protected. I never go online without ExpressVPN, and you shouldn't either. ExpressVPN is the fastest VPN, costs less than $7 a month, and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Take back your online privacy just like I did with ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com Tom. That's expressvpn.com Tom for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com Tom. That's expressvpn.com T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is No Visible Bruises, What We Don't Know About Domestic Violence Can Kill Us by Rachel Louise Snyder. I'm reading from the preface. This is page four. Suzanne and I exchanged small talk on her brother's driveway that day in 2010. She and the family were still in preparation and packing mode for their annual camping vacation into the hinterlands of Maine, and Suzanne had been greeted by her brother Andre with a long shopping list. She told me she worked for a domestic violence agency in town and that they had recently developed a new program that she was calling the Domestic Violence High Risk Team. Their primary aim was simple, she said. We try to predict domestic violence homicides before they happen so we can prevent them. It sounded immediately implausible. So implausible, in fact, that I thought I'd misheard some elemental piece of it. Predict, I remember saying? You said predict domestic violence homicides? I had come across domestic violence in my reporting over the years, not only in Cambodia, but also in places like Afghanistan, Niger, and Honduras. But it had never been a focus for me. Instead, it was always adjacent to whatever other story I was writing, so much so that it was practically banal. 
The young girls jailed for love crimes in Kabul, the Indian child brides who gave interviews only in front of the men who control them, the Tibetan women forcibly sterilized by the Chinese government, the teenage brides in Niger cast from their villages after post-pregnancy fistulas made them pariahs, the Romanian women forced to birth multiple children under Ceausescu and who now in their early 30s were grandmothers fated to poverty, the Cambodian street workers beaten and gang-raped for weekend sport by well-heeled Khmer teenagers. All of these women in every country were brutalized and controlled by men as a matter of routine. Men made the rules primarily through physical violence. It was there lurking in practically every story I'd ever covered around the world, a shadowy background so obvious I didn't even have to ask about it most of the time. It was as common as rain. Until that moment in the driveway with Suzanne Dubas, if I thought of domestic violence in the United States at all, I saw it as an unfortunate fate for the unlucky few, a matter of bad choices and cruel environments. A woman hardwired to be hurt. But I never envisioned it as a social ill, an epidemic we can actually do something about. Now here was Susan Dubas talking about preventative measures for a type of violence that, for the first time, I saw operating along a continuum. The young girl in India married as a child, the Tibetan woman sterilized, the Afghan woman jailed, the housewife in Massachusetts brutalized by her husband. They all shared a common privation, what domestic violence victims across the world lacked, agency in their own lives. The forces that brought a Cambodian prostitute to the brink of death were the same forces that killed thousands of women and children and men, but mostly women and children, across America and the entire globe every year. An average, in fact, of 137 women each and every day are killed by intimate partner or familial violence across the globe. And this does not include men or children. Everything in my body suddenly came alive that day. I saw all the faces of women around the world from over two decades of work, and I realized how rarely I'd gazed inward at my own country, at what we got wrong and what it meant. The universality of domestic violence and how it crisscrosses geographical, cultural, and linguistic barriers. Maybe all those other stories were in preparation for the day that I'd meet Paul Monson and look at the mountains from his living room windows. I ended up following Suzanne to the farmer's market and then to the grocery store and then to the liquor store as she prepped for her camping trip. I helped her carry ice and peaches and hamburger meat. I asked question after question while she drove and while her mother Pat sat in the passenger seat chiming in here and there. How did it work? How many have you stopped? What else can you predict? My questions were vast and endless. Like many people who hold a casual acquaintance with a problem, I believed all the common assumptions. That if things were bad enough, victims would just leave. That restraining orders solved the problem. And that if a victim didn't show up to renew a restraining order, the problem had been solved. That going to a shelter was an adequate response for victims and their children. That violence inside the home was something private, unrelated to other forms of violence perhaps most notably mass shootings. The lack of visible injury signaled a lack of seriousness. And perhaps most of all, that unless we stand at the receiving end of a punch, such violence had nothing to do with us at all. Over the next few years, Suzanne Dubas and her colleague Kelly Dunn patiently taught me about the scope and history of an issue that still today is too often hidden. I learned why past approaches had failed and what we could do more effectively today. Between 2000 and 2006, 3,200 American soldiers were killed. During that same period, domestic homicide in the United States claimed 10,600 lives. This figure is likely an underestimate, as it was pulled from the FBI's supplementary homicide reports, which gathered data from local police departments, and participation is voluntary. 
20 people in the United States are assaulted every minute by their partners. Former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan called violence against women and girls the most shameful human rights violation. And the World Health Organization called it a global health problem of epidemic proportions. A study put out by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime cited 50,000 women around the world were killed by partners or family members in 2017 alone. 50,000 women. The UNODC report called home the most dangerous place for women. The book No Visible Bruises by Rachel Louise Snyder. Tom Harmon here with you and Lewis in Chicago. It says here you disagree with me. What's up? Yeah, this Epstein stuff started way back when Obama was in, and no one cared further prosecute him because he's a big liberal that has donated millions and millions. He's donated a lot. Actually, bit it was 2008 when Epstein cut that deal with Alex Acosta, who was appointed by George W. Bush as the federal uh, prosecutor down in Florida. This right. has nothing to do with Obama. This was the Bush administration, Lewis. These are, all, these are all Democratic donors that are part of this pedophile ring. All these yeah, rich, rich right. billionaires are Democrats. Right, yeah, all of them, every, every single one, liberal. right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can go back to 8chan, you know? It's like, jeez. Scott in Hurricane West Virginia. Hey, Scott, what's on your mind? Oh, I just heard that last wackadoodle caller. These, uh... Yeah. They, turn, they have a way of turning everything 180 degrees. Sure. You know, and so we got Bill Barr and, and all these Trumpocytes that are protecting Trump. Trump comes out and says... This is a conspiracy, and he wants to blame it on the Clintons. Right. What when Epstein introduced him to his current wife. Yeah, well, that's telling us that Trump is spinning 180 degrees, and, and he's a wannabe mobster. He knows dead men tell no tales. Yeah. What does Epstein have that would put all these other high-end people, you know, on the chopping block? Well, I think we found out when the FBI raided his home, you know, a month or so ago, and they found all these, uh, all this documentary evidence, all these videos and photos and old home movies of uh, Epstein's friends, wealthy, powerful friends, men, having sex with underage girls. And, and, you know, that's now in the possession of Bill Barr in the Department of Justice. And, you know, it was under Bill Barr's supervision in a Department of Justice prison where Jeffrey Epstein was, you know, apparently allowed to commit suicide. That's all going to disappear. I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, this is why when Congressman Barr was on earlier, I said, "Where? What happened to those pictures? I've not seen a single mention of them in the media." And he's like, "Geez, neither have I." That's a good question. Well, you can't trust Barr. You can't trust, uh, you know. No, Bill Barr, our current attorney general, was attorney general in 1992, and he was the one who engineered, according to William Sapphire in the New York Times, he was the one who engineered the the cover-up of the Iran-Contra conspiracy, the the Iran-Contra scandal, where Reagan was trading weapons to Iran in exchange for their holding the hostages long enough that Jimmy Carter couldn't get elected in 1980. I mean, it's insane. Anyhow, Scott, thanks for the call. It's good to hear from you. On the line with us right now is Lisa Stifler. She is the Senior Policy Counsel at the Center for Responsible Lending. The website is responsiblelending.org, Twitter handle CRL online. Lisa, welcome to the program. 
Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me this afternoon. Thanks for or joining this morning us. morning for you, I guess. This is fascinating stuff, and, and you sent us a note, or somebody from your office sent us a note saying that this was totally flying under the public radar. And you're absolutely right. It was flying under the radar so much that I was unaware of it. CFPB, the, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, has which is responsible for making sure that we don't get robbed by companies and people in the finance industry, you know, banksters and investment advisors and things like that. They are rewriting their, quote, debt collection rule. First of all, what is the debt collection rule? And secondly, what is this rewrite? Why should we all know about this? Why is this such important stuff? So one of the key reasons why this is important is this rule that they are proposing is the first ever federal rule related to debt collection practices. Uh, we have a federal law, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, that was enacted in 1978. It has not substantially been updated since then. So this is, and the CFPB was the first uh, federal agency to have oversight over rulemaking related to that law. And so this rule proposal represents that first attempt to to write a rule uh, and it'll allow them to continue an environment of harassment uh, legally. It'll allow seven calls a week per debt owed. And then it'll also, for the first time, authorize the use of email, texting, and private social media without a consumer's consent and without real limits. So not only can they call you once a day to harass you, but now they can they can stalk you on Facebook, basically. Well, private private messages, yes, right. uh, they will. And one of the things to underscore about one call a day is most people have more than one debt. Many people are struggling to make ends meet and, and live day to day. And so a lot of people are, you know, the debts that they have are just because of uh, living everyday life, whether it's to pay for groceries or they have a medical bill that they weren't expecting from a hospital visit. And many times those hospital visits result in multiple accounts and multiple debts. So one visit can result in seven accounts and seven calls a week per debt is 49 calls a week. Mick Mulvaney was this cokehead, Koch brothers owned congressman. And Trump put him, he's now Trump's chief of staff, but wasn't he in charge of the CFPB for a while? He was. He was acting director of the CFPB for a while until the current head, Kathy Kraninger. Yeah. So uh, ideology as much as as good old fashioned corruption. It's it's totally bizarre. Lisa, thanks so much for the information. Thanks for having me on today. Tom. Yeah, my pleasure. Good talking with you. Lisa Stifler. She is the senior policy counsel at the Center for Responsible Lending. Responsiblelending.org is the website. CR online is the Twitter handle. Amazing. Amazing. So this is kind of apropos of what we were just talking about. The Sheriff's Department in Washington State, this is Whatcom County, this is just north of us. A 77-year-old man called 911, the emergency number, and told the dispatcher, I'm going to kill myself. So they sent the police out, and what they found was that he and his wife were both dead. They're treating it as a murder-suicide. And this from the Sheriff's Department post, quote, Several notes were left citing severe ongoing medical problems with the wife and expecting con expressing concerns that the couple did not have sufficient resources to pay for medical care. Next of kin information was left in a note and detectives are working with out-of-state law enforcement to notify the next of kin. He says it's very tragic. Uh, this is what the sheriff said. 
It's very tragic that one of our senior citizens would find himself in such desperate circumstances where he felt murder and suicide were the only option. Americans, by the way, spend more on health care than any other people in the world. Literally, in the world. 20% of our gross domestic product goes to health care. Well, it goes to the health care industry. You know, we know that the healthcare industry is skimming 20, 30% off the top from that. And apropos of that now, Senator Bernie Sanders has come out, and, you know, I'm sure he's not unique in this, but he sent a letter to Matt Ailes and Stephen Ubel. Who are Matt Ailes and Stephen Ubel? Well, it turns out that Matt Ailes is the head of the American, um, of Ameri the AHIP, AHIP, America's Health Insurance Plans, in other words, lobbying group that represents health insurance companies. And Stephen Obel, UBL, is the head of Pharma, the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, the lobbyist for the drug companies. So the lobbyist for the, for the health insurance companies and the lobbyist for the drug companies, Bernie sent them this letter saying, and I quote, please explain to the American people why you believe it is more important to spend such an enormous sum of money on advertising, lobbying, and campaign contributions than it is to make sure that no one in the wealthiest country in the world dies or goes bankrupt because they can't afford to purchase life-saving prescription drugs or go to a doctor. You made $100 billion in profits last year. How much are you going to be spending of that $100 billion to oppose Medicare for all? Is it $200 million? Is it $500 million? Is it a billion dollars in order to protect your profits? I think this is a really good question and one that all Americans need to be asking of these guys. And Bernie just laid it right out there. Tim in Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? Well, I was going to say a couple of things, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you now, Tom, and it's really interesting because uh, I was with a, a large healthcare provider for years and years, and I had a flawless payment re record. And when I really needed them, they fell apart, basically. It was disgusting. Now my wife and my sons are all have the Affordable Care Act. I'm on Medicare now, thank goodness. It's a very good program, and it's working. Right. You know, there's been a, there's been a few problems here and there because it's a you know it's a, a, a new uh, institution, but it works. All people have to do is pay attention a little bit to what their needs are, and they can get things accomplished. I know a lot of people I've recommended Affordable Care Act, and they thought that it was no good, and they thought and then they said to me, "Wait a minute, Tim, I checked it out, and I am going to save money." They just have to get involved, basically. Right. Uh, right. And 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 Trump has turned off all the advertising for this, shut down the website for hours every day, made it harder and right. harder for people to sign up. And in a lot of the Republican-controlled states, it's even harder than that. Another quick thing that I would, yeah. was just going to say, I was in sales and marketing for 35 years, and I was in the auto industry for 20 years. And there's two key elements to any society, housing and transportation, period. Right. And what's happening now, if you read the statistics, it's scary with uh, all these uh, uh, delinquent loans on housing. And young kids now, I have uh, friends in the neighborhood who have grandkids and sons and daughters who are going to college. They can't afford an apartment. Five, six people living in a one-bedroom apartment. This is becoming the rule and not the exception. You see right. what I mean? Yeah, we're turning into a third-world country as a result of 40 years of Reaganomics. It's, it's just scary. that simple. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.